This is the Shift Podcast. Ryan is excited to bring on Sharif Al-Sharafa, who is a Lego architect from Regina. He's actually a social worker, but in his spare time, he builds massive homes out of Lego, complex physics and building structures, creativity. It's amazing. And he loves it. And so does Ryan. They chat. Coming up in the podcast, are you okay with Foo Fighters going disco? How about that? We talk energy with Pierre-Olivier Pino. He's with HEC Montreal. What does Canada need to know about electricity? And in case you missed it, with producer Ryan O'Donnell comes to the party with Mortal Kombat. Plus, Dolly Parton is the most amazing human of all time. Anyway, she said no to a statue. All of this and more on the Shift Daily Podcast. You know, it's not very often that we get to take a story that gets... um Ryan's so excited, <laughs> as we do with this one. And uh, I'm going to introduce uh, Sharif uh, to Ryan and uh, to you, everybody who's listening on The Shift. Um, and then I'm just literally going to say, okay, fellas, <laughs> go get it, because you guys are both in love with the same thing. Uh, well, let's uh, l- let's set the scene, as it were, of a man who has an incredible taste in in hobbies, and building some incredible things out of uh, Lego. So, Sharif, you uh, got a story published on Global News after they saw your replica homes. And so I was wondering if you can just maybe just tell us a little bit about that process for you, uh, why you're building those homes and uh, what that all what that all looks like for you. Thank you, Ryan. And thanks for having me first. I really appreciate it. Well, again, it's a hobby. It started with me when I was a little kid. My dad is an architect, luckily. So I used to copy him when I was a little kid. And of course, obviously, he purchased many Lego sets for me. And he taught me how to use uh, the blueprints in order to build a house from Lego or any architectural uh, model or build from Lego. And I kept it from there. So it's a hobby basically and uh, it got expanded when i met uh, saskatchewan lego users group or slug Uh, i really appreciate uh, their efforts and uh, when they accepted me as a new member so yeah this is my uh, main theme let me say i'm focused more on architectural uh, buildings Others, they are focused on Star Wars or uh, techniques, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And on top of that, I uh, I like to do the interior because I have um, uh, I love to do interiors. Like I'm uh, I'm interested in interiors always in real life and Lego life, beside the architectural side. Even though I'm not uh, an architect, unfortunately, like I'm social worker, but yeah, hmm. I I kept it as hobby or um, just for fun. Just something you cared about, which is part of the reason why Lego, I think, sticks with so many people after they grow up, right? And True. so now, when you say blueprints, did your dad literally bring out blueprints that he had at work, for example, and say, this is how you could use this to build Lego? Yes, yeah, like he Crazy. used to show me old um, uh, projects, blueprints, and he started showing me how to do the scaling measurements. 
and how to use uh, tools to do that uh, and try to do my best to make it as accurate as possible because you know at the end it's lego it won't be like 100 it's not like 3d printer yeah so he right. used to show me how to use a blueprint and read the elevations for example uh, the front side the sides or the back side etc it gets so quite it's, amazing Sorry. it's amazing yeah like it's, no i'm like sharif yeah. you have to understand like it is beyond hey by the way i built a lego house like this is remarkably amazing have you ever considered actually going into you know changing careers now in your life and going into architecture because of this honestly sometimes yes i think about it or at least i think i should do uh, graphic design or interior design courses or programs now i would love to to do that i um i want i mean because yeah. i like you need to understand like this is mind-blowingly amazing and the fact that you have lights even like it's next level yeah you're on to something here <laughs> Thank I, you. i gotta tell you thank you so much yeah true i'm i'm passionate Uh, by and um, I do lots of efforts uh, in every creation, whether it's for client or myself or uh, just to participate in exhibitions or competitions as we used to do before COVID uh, with the slug Saskatchewan Lego users uh, group across Saskatchewan. Yeah. Have you found that this particular part of your life has? kind of exploded or come more to the forefront because of COVID? Uh, COVID definitely affected us um, in all aspects. Uh, unfortunately, we can't do our exhibitions now or competitions. Uh, another thing, when we want to order parts from across the country uh, or um, overseas, sorry, uh, it takes longer time. Uh, you know what I people are not, what I do things yeah. at my house and I forget one piece. You know, if you have to run to Home Depot and you're like, oh, I forgot the screws. You know, you can go back to Home Depot and you can go get the screws. In this case, sure. especially during COVID, when you're waiting for parts, looking at the picture of the bed, the bunk bed that you made, like if you were to forget one of those little blue pieces sure. <laughs> and you're like, oh, no, I ordered 100 pieces, oh, but God. I forgot the one piece I needed. And then you're at a full stop until you can keep going. It happened. This is true. Yeah, oh, it no. happened, and it's it's a big mistake for us, especially that it's going to take uh, more time and, of course, additional expenses. Because shipping from Europe, for example, or the States to Canada, uh, it costs, especially when we order, like, big bulks. I love it. it yeah, it's so such COVID an amazing... definitely affected us, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. But has it been at least, you know, for you, it, it seems like your group has been able to keep creating, you know, it's it's not going to stop you. So have you kind of used the more time stuck at home to really, you know, work on how am I going to make the most realistic bunk bed possible? You know, is that the kind of things that COVID has allowed you to create? Uh, well, part of it yes because we have to stay obviously longer at our uh, places or homes now because of covid so of course we um, we have the chance now to focus more on lego and our creativity uh, got expanded now uh, so yes um, maybe staying at home um, helped me to create more or be more creative mm -hmm. 
So I get into more details in each part or piece of Lego. You know, one of the things that lands for me with Lego, I myself, I can't, I'm going to turn my computer. You might be able to see right there. This is my Lego shoe rack. I built, I I disassembled thousands of sets of Lego and used it to create this shoe rack to hold my stuff. Because I myself am a a mega Lego nerd. And one of the things people come at me for is like, Ryan, you're 24. Why are you still playing Lego? And the way I kind of see it is why do kids love Lego? It's the creativity. But creativity doesn't die when you become an adult. So where does that kind of land for you? Exactly. Uh, It depends how you look at it. Because Lego definitely is not only a toy. And it's it's not limited to a specific age. Like uh, within our group, uh, you find guys forty in their forties, fifties, and I think sixties even. Why? Because Lego um, needs creativity. It needs some skills. Um, it expands your um, way of thinking, even uh, critical thinking, as an example. So yeah, it's not it's not a, a toy or it's not only limited uh, for kids, Uh, especially that um, you can make business actually from Lego uh, by promoting other businesses using Lego. Uh, Two projects that I did to, or for Northridge Home Development in in Regina, they displayed them in their showrooms as um, a new idea to promote their business. Yeah, so definitely Lego is not just a toy or uh, limited to specific age, no. Um, and I think there are some positions or jobs. I saw them in Indeed one day. Uh, people are looking for Lego instructor. Really? With science. Hmm. Oh, yeah. With science background like mathematics or physics. And guess what? They pay up to 90K a year. No way. I, I would, me, I don't, know, I don't know if it was a scam or by mistake, but yes, I saw it. And indeed, and to wow. be more precise, it's in Vancouver or British Columbia in general. Well, it is uh-huh. warmer in Vancouver than it is in Regina. So that's always tempting. Of course. <laughs> yeah, true. But no, this is where I found the, the post. And yeah, like it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, they might, they might ask for Lego instructor at school or art school, um, science uh, school, etc. Why? Because you need to to learn or have some science background, especially physics and mathematics. I do some uh, measurements. I use mathematics sometimes, believe it or not. Mm. No, I was going to ask, because when you look at the construction of these homes here, you can tell there is a boatload of organization and a very specific placement of all of the pieces here. You know, the way that you've kind of organized the doorway to the home and where the support beams are, that's not just to make yeah. it look pretty. That whole thing will collapse if they're not there. I can attest to that. My shoe rack, let me tell you, it broke mm. four or five times because I was putting the wrong pieces in the wrong places. And this- eventually, you have to actually really look into the, the physics of it. See, if my math teachers explained physics using Lego, I bet I would be a, f- a full-on like rocket physicist right now. But, you know, unfortunately I, I not. S- <laughs> I see, Ryan. Yeah. Unfortunately. But yes, you are right. 
we have to um, consider uh, weights and the center of uh, strength or weakness, especially when it comes to roofs, when we build a second story or many levels in general, especially roofs, uh, at least for me. I don't know about what other builds uh, like towers or just a flat roof, etc. So, yeah, um, there are some measurements or uh, mathematical uh, considerations. So, Sharif, in the, this one picture in the global article, uh, the, it's, the profile is the front of the house. Um, how wide is that house? If you could estimate in inches or centimeters, how wide is, like, how big is that house when you finished it? Um, I'm sorry, which one um, uh, you are talking about? Um, yeah, yeah. It's, well, just one of the, it's one of the houses. It's a double attached front garage. It's got the, um, it's on the global the article. Roof. It's got the yellow top with the lights. Uh, the, the roof is black. It's got the A-frame roof in the front. And then it goes in the back with the, the roof line. Uh, it looks like it's brick. I, uh, okay, I think it's about uh, approximately three feet. Oh, it's really uh, big. Oh. <laughs> uh, with, yeah, like it's about uh, in centimeters, um, about okay, like, ninety centimeters. That's amazing! Yeah. Wow, enormous. Yeah, uh, they they are bigger in real. Actually, I know in pictures, pictures usually uh, do not show uh, everything in um, like um, in their actual size or measurements. <clears throat> But the average, uh, most of my projects were w within three feet. Really? High. Width. How many pieces yeah. is that, do you think? If you had to guess, how many pieces do you think is in one of these houses? Uh, it depends if they ask for interior or not. But the average, it's not less than 1,500 pieces. So, I mean, this is, this is, not, this is not cheap either to build them. Uh, this is the only annoying thing, unfortunately, mm -hmm. about Lego World. It's Lego is expensive. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, Lego is expensive. Like average, each piece average about twenty cents. Still, like that. Each. Yeah. So that adds up. Yeah. And then when you put your time onto it, and then I'm assuming it's not like you you want to tear them down if you're doing it for yourself. You're not looking to tear them down right away. So you have to have room for them. Plus, yes. So twenty, that's so three hundred dollars, fifteen hundred pieces, three hundred dollars worth of parts plus your time. Like this, this really is not just a, uh, not a hobby for somebody who's looking to have a cheap old hobby on the side. This is true. Yeah, it's an expensive hobby, and it needs uh, some accessories or supportive tools and logistics like space. You need, for example, like decent basement uh, space. Um, you need to find out. You need to find um, uh, organizing system like plastic drawers yeah. or cabinets, uh, specific uh, tables. Yeah, so definitely it's an expensive hobby. When I was a kid and I was building Lego, the biggest thing that I always went through is I would get, I'd have this big bright idea and my house was going to be red or whatever I was building, but then I would get to the top layer and I'd be short about three red blocks. So then there would be yeah. like a blue block and a, mm -hmm. a yellow block and um and i would never do it so the amount of planning that you have to have pieces around for uh is absolutely it's absolutely amazing sharif thank you thank you <clears throat> yeah of course this is another thing where we have to do some calculations we have to figure out how many pieces we need to to cover the roof for example yeah 
Yeah, based on the uh, the size of the plate, like how many plates is that uh, house uh, made of? And yeah, I do my own calculations and figure out how many uh, roof slops, which is common thing I usually use in my um, bills. Yeah, and lights. You put yeah. lights inside, which is also amazing. Nice touch. Uh, yeah, this is recent. I I won't hide it from you. I found at Dollar Store uh, an incredible compatible uh, lighting system. Really? Only for two bucks. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. I might need See, to light up my we're frugal shoe rack. here on the show. We love that part. So absolutely, if you can do that, we're big fans. Yeah. Oh. Thank you. Yeah, this is uh, yeah an advice to whoever uh, builds Lego. Uh, go check Dollar Store and see uh, if you can find that um, lighting kit or system. It's only for two bucks. Nice. Yeah, I, I informed my um, my Saskatchewan members, of course, about it. So they save money. Yeah, it's beautiful. Well, uh, uh, Ryan, yeah. do you have one last question for Sharif before we before we say goodbye? Because this is beautiful. I love it. I would just I would just say, and I know Shane, this was on your mind. How many times have you accidentally stepped on a piece of Lego while building these incredible houses? <laughs> now, in my age now, or when I was a child? Well, now oh, when when I was. Now's exactly. <laughs> when you're a kid, you can write it off as just part of the experience. Well, pretty but... much every time, every day when I was a little kid. But yeah. now, honestly, it never happened. Like, oh. I can't remember. Yeah, because I, I have uh, organized my Lego inventory in really nice way so i hardly miss or find a piece uh, on the floor or on the ground structure is always the key i love it um lego replicas of houses three feet wide like this is amazing stuff he's in regina sharif al sharafa joining us here on the shift it's a pleasure to meet you sharif and i think you have a friend for life in ryan absolutely so you're welcome to come back anytime <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for hosting me again. Thanks for having me. And I look forward to uh, chatting with you guys again. Well, let thank us you know so much. when you build new things, yeah, send you. us pictures, please. Yeah, please do. Yeah, sure. Send me an email. Keep me in the loop. Yeah, sure. Of course, Ryan. Thank you. This is the Shift Podcast. Shane, you have a friend with a moon dial. Just call up the ET. He's going to pick you up. We were talking about Mars. Well... Maybe we need to switch to a Mars dial for Eureka in Calgary from the tub, the bathtub, Eureka. <laughs> Thank you for the text from the tub. Yeah. Eureka. Like the uh, maybe we need to check in with our Mars dial since, uh, you know, mankind sent new robots to the Mars today. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's dial it up. <laughs> oh, that's what it was. <laughs> there it is. That's, that's the Mars dial. The Mars dial for Are You Okay? <laughs> wow, that's pretty good. Matt's sliding around on the rolly chair. He's got so much going on. Thanks, buddy. Good job. Are you okay with the Foo Fighters? Speaking of 90s alternative rock acts, yeah, I'm, I've... I think I've always been okay with the Foo Fighters, the fighters right. of the Foo. There's a credibility there with this band. Always has been. Yeah. they. Uh, I was really into them in like grade 11. Uh, mm. And they've got some good songs. I love Dave Grohl as a human being. 
so much. He's such a nice guy and does so many amazing things. The music now for me, not really, uh, but all in all, the world is a better place with the Foo Fighters in it. Yeah, um, it is a better place. I would agree with this. Um, it, we were talking about Rick Astley, right? We were talking about Rick Astley being embraced by the Foo Fighters, and um, and how you know he's he's done some you know visits with them on on the stage, and it's kind of cool when you know you sort of hear these guys in the concert doing the things, and uh, as soon as I click the button, then we're going to be able to hear it. You know, so I gotta be careful because there's lots of swearing going on. But uh, Rick Astley shows up and starts singing with Dave Grohl. And so, you know, Rick Astley, if the Foo Fighters can do Rick Astley, right? Like, this is Rick Astley with the Foo Fighters. So clearly, Foo Fighters are capable of doing all kinds of things. That's my point. They also swung by Joe Wiley's BBC radio show. Two Sofas, BBC Radio 2 show, Sofa Session, to perform a few songs from the new album, right? Medicine at Midnight. As well, they threw together a particularly interesting cover that you might recognize. Let's get the clip. So the Bee Gees uh, by the Foo Fighters. Wow. Is that not amazing? That's uh it's, that's awesome. That's talent. That's awesome. It's, quite that a, it's quite a versatile cover. Uh the groove was there. Did you hear the like womp womp? Like they really got the disco vibe done there. Yeah. And when they even got there, that little riff at the end of the riff, the pen in it. They nailed mm-hmm. it. Very yeah, like like fascinating. Um I was reading an article um on this. Um, and, and Dave was just like, he didn't know what he was kind of going to go do there. Cause the Bee Gees, like their style of singing is obviously v- completely different than the kind of stuff that Dave usually sings. Right. Oh, wait, Matt, I have the clip of him saying this <sighs> even better. The next clip is him talking about figuring out how to say this. Well, why, why listen to me when we could listen to Dave? <laughs> Sorry, so but it's started so funny. recording the instrumental track and then I thought, okay, I'm going to go out and sing it. And let me tell you, I have never, ever in my life sung like that, but it was the easiest song I have ever sung in my entire life. Because I didn't realize that, like, like my voice can, like, you should be dancing. <laughs> like, I had never done that before. Go, that's beautiful can we get the uh let's get the food this is the foo fighters doing the disco classic the bgs you should be dancing let's get the clip one more time They can do I want anything. a whole album. I want a whole album of Foo Fighters <laughs> disco covers. Wow. Foo yep. Fighters disco hits. I mean, but there's some amazing, some of the world's greatest guitar players were the f- bones of, of disco. I mean, Matt will tell you, like, they're some of the best guitar players that have had the most influence on all of the music that we know today, even up to the last couple of years, are guitar players that were the, 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 the funk and disco anchors. 
Oh yeah, I mean you can't have a lot of that stuff without Nile Rodgers from Chic, you know, for example. The list of songs that he was a part of that, you know, just inside writing credits and studio credits is extremely long and shocking with Niles. And then he sort of came back to profile again with Pharrell and with Daft Punk, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, wow. I mean, that's as good as it gets for good guitar stories. I love this. Okay. Are you okay? Millions of Texas residents were shivering in the dark. You know, the ice storm, the heat's out, all these things, right? Well, their senator, Ted Cruz, was flying away. Are you okay with vacations? Hmm. I, I, I like, you know, whenever I, I rarely, rarely get the chance to actually kick my feet up and relax. Mm. I, I like me a good vacation. I like a million vacations. That's what I, mm. I need. Yeah. Well, I like a vacations time. to get away from work. That's nice, too. Yep. And who doesn't like a vacation to get away from work? I mean, there's a long list of about a dozen or so Canadian politicians who love vacations at Christmas time in a pandemic. So it's safe to say that when Ted Cruz went on vacation, that's what he's doing. He's just doing what politicians do, go on vacation during a pandemic. Now, the rules in America are a little different, but here's the thing. The snowstorm is a problem. Sources initially confirmed to the Associated Press, Fox News, and the New York Times that Cruz flew to Mexico Wednesday for a family vacation when the storm was brutal. Even as his constituents cried out for government help, amid the storm and sweeping blackouts in Texas, these are not homes that are insulated very well for the cold, Cruz's office eventually confirmed a trip in a statement on Thursday afternoon. This clip is from MSNBC. New sound from Texas Senator Ted Cruz uh, talking about his trip to Cancun, Mexico, in the middle of the power crisis in his state. Here's what he told NBC News' Telemundo crew at the Cancun airport. Well, Texas is going through horrific storms, and millions of Texans have lost power and lost heat and have been hurt. And uh, our, our family was among them. We had no heat and no power. Yesterday, my daughters asked if they could take a trip with some friends, and Heidi and I agreed, so I flew down with them last night, uh, dropped them off here, and now I'm headed back to Texas and back to continuing to work to try to get the power on. What's happening in Texas is unacceptable, and a lot of Texans are hurting. So that's what he said. It's unacceptable. A lot of Texans are hurting. I'm coming back. We're going to fix this. Well, sources told NBC News that Senator Cruz booked his return ticket from Cancun to Texas at 6 a.m. on Thursday. He was initially booked to return on Saturday, they found out. So are you surprised that he's lied blatantly to the camera for politics? Lies, lies, lies. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. No, man. He would have come. Obviously, what he did was really stupid. If he had come back and said, I made a mistake, I was going to do this, I'm sorry, would have been better than, oh, don't worry. I'm only doing this because of my kids. Such a slimy thing to do. Yeah. I, um, here's a text. Trucker Kevin, not okay with vacations, just lost a friend over our argument about him and his wife going to Hawaii just for a getaway. Wow. I'm not okay with COVIDcations, but I am okay with vacations. I'd love to go on a houseboat vacation in the Okanagan or find somewhere to do it in Belize. Okanagan shoe swaps, man. The shoe swaps are the best. Go there. There's so many great houseboating uh, companies where you can rent boats that sleep like 20 people. They have like fireplaces and satellite TV and hot tubs and 
and th- amazing. Talk about a cool vacation in Canada. That would be one that I'd put on my list. It's not okay with leaders abandoning the people they lead in crisis. The Queen of England stayed through the Blitzkrieg. That's how it's done. <laughs> well, this is not the Blitzkrieg, but um, it's a very scary time for those people. And to think that, yeah, you know what? We don't have power either. This affects us, so we can go afford to go on a vacation. Now, just to be clear, he he was Canadian, but he renounced his Canadian Canadian citizenship. I think it was 2014, and became a full-on American, and he's no longer our problem. So don't let anyone throw that at you, you and your Canadian politician. Ah, nay, nay. He chose you, American friends. He is now your problem. Just saying. All right, are you okay? Are you okay with going away parties? Uh, I'm okay with most parties well you know before you know what happened but uh (laughs) (laughs) yeah i the p word the the big p nope stop there um the uh change the topic here Uh, i had a my friends when i lived in ontario threw me a going away party and it honestly warmed my heart in such an amazing way so if they're done from a good place with great intentions it can be such a heartwarming experience for the person who they're celebrating all right well a cincinnati woman and her friends decided to throw a party to celebrate her going away now covid of course it's not the same kind of party but you know the essence of the party let's just call it that let's not judge based on that according to local 12 news they apparently wanted to celebrate her going off to prison. This is the invitation for a send Samantha Harvey off to prison party. Harvey pleaded guilty to being behind the wheel. The creator of the event tells me it's canceled. Rick's Tavern in Fairfield says it had no idea what the party was for. The restaurant posted today it would never host this kind of event. Candy Schluter says she's glad the party is off because it feels like a slap in the face. I feel like she has a disregard for, you know, the consequences and, you know, hurt that she caused. Schluter says her daughter's recovery is nothing short of a miracle. Oh, (laughs) okay. Harvey's set to be sentenced for the crash on March 3rd. She could face up to 78 months in prison. Now, if you were going off to prison for, I don't know, too many speeding tickets, right? Public indecency. Public indecency. Public Streaking urination. at a football game. Public yep. urination. Like, if these are the reasons you're going off to jail, yeah, okay, throw a party. There's got, there's got to be a line, man. There has got to be a line. All right. Seems like um, a uh, lapse in judgment. Well, more than one, I would, I would suggest. It's the Shift Podcast. With everything going on uh, down in the States with winter storms, it seems like a good opportunity to talk about energy a little bit because there has been some pri- some su- surprises around it. Uh, some pictures that, um, that uh, I think we're all surprised to see. Joining me now to talk about this, uh, we have a guest who's all about energy. Um, in fact, I put on, I put on here, Pierre Energy is the, I think that's your new name. I've decided it's Pierre Energy. Uh, Pierre Olivier Pino, uh, joins us from, um, HEC Montreal. He's professor, department of decision sciences. What is decision sciences, sir? So it's, uh, it's a more sexy name for statistics and, uh, operations 
church. <laughs> so it's all the maths that you can have in the business school, but it's uh, labeled now decision sciences. This is a, this is an attendance problem, isn't it? Uh, yes. <laughs> we needed to bring more people into the class because statistics is not very sexy. But it's working but... well. It's working well now. We have a data scientist and people uh, love, you know, analytics now. I like this. This is smart. This is a good way to go. Okay, well, in and around energy, uh, the topic of the day today, down in Texas has been centered out, you know, really for certain as as the sort of grand zero of this winter storm thing that happened this week down in America. And uh, have, I'm sure you've seen some of the pictures of uh, the windmills and the ice on the blades and all the things that have been going on. Yes, uh, it, it is a catastrophe. Uh, but, you know, it, and then it there are multiple reasons for what happened there. Uh, you know, the, the short story is that it's which it was freezing cold, so people turned up the heat, and and you know they were not designed houses; they were not designed to sustain that cold. So uh, high electricity demand, and with the weather issues, you know, a lot of productive generation went down. So you know the the big pictures were the windmills, but. In, the truth is that, you know, there were many gas-fired power plants that didn't run. The majority of the, the cuts in generation were actually fossil fuel plants. So it's really an imbalance between supply and demand. And, and you know, I'm from Quebec. And in Quebec in 1997, we have this ice storm uh, that, you know, brought down the whole system in December. And, you know, there wasn't any electricity for for a week in Montreal. Uh, and it was cold. So, I, I mean, it, I'm not saying that, you know, they, they should just suffer through it. But, you know, it can happen in any place. Uh, so it happened in Montreal a few years ago. You know, in, in Alberta, you had the fire and, and floods. Uh, and in Texas now, they have this uh, freezing cold. Now, in the Montreal storyline, was that the same storm? I mean, that took down high-tension power lines. Um, that took down, like, the big towers. That was part of that story, wasn't it? Yeah. It was, it was not it, just a... Yeah, it was really, it was really the, the transmission lines that went down. Right. Uh, the, 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 the weight of ice was too heavy, and, and then they went down. They were not designed to structurally uh, support that weight. Uh, meaning that, you know, with climate change, a lot of extreme weather will happen, hap happens now and will happen in the future. So we have to think, you know, how we design our energy systems, how we design our, uh, reliability standards. Uh, there are a lot of things to think about. So you said energy systems, the, and well, high tension power lines, um, those, those networks are, you know, it seems like the technology hasn't changed a whole lot. Now, it's not like I'm around it. It's not like I'm inside, you know, the the power rooms where they manage all this stuff. We seem to be making this shift, at least as a society, in the thinking about, hey, more electricity is good. And yet, I, I don't see the same conversation around the technology of delivering the energy really changing that drastically. Is the delivering the energy catching up to the, the notion of more electricity? Well, yes and no. The the problem with delivering electricity is that you need transmission lines, and you know people don't like projects. So, you know, across Canada, we talk a lot about pipelines, and there's a lot of resistance towards pipeline. But the truth is that there is also a lot of resistance against uh, transmission lines. Uh, Quebec is trying to export more electricity to New York and New England, 
and people oppose these transmission lines. Uh, even within Quebec, uh, there are issues with transmission lines. And, you know, there's been a lot of issues between Edmonton and Calgary on transmission lines. It's never easy. So it is a, all these infrastructure projects are difficult. The technology is evolving, but, you know, the basics remains the same. There are you know, new technologies that could change everything. Supraconductivity, uh, you know, if you if you kind of freeze these transmission lines and then bring them to an ultra low temperature, you can have like zero loss uh, on these transmission lines. So th there would be uh, new technologies that could change things. But the key problem is, is building this infrastructure to, you know, keep up with the electricity demand and electricity needs, uh, have more transmission lines, and, you know, there are huge investments, there are resistance to, against them. So it's hard to uh, upgrade the system where it should be. But, if, you know, ultimately, we'll, we'll have to have these transmission lines. There, there are a lot of discussions on, on storage. So actually, you know, with, with the technology improvement in storage, uh, you know, the big talks are around, you know, how to increase storage. And that's a way to avoid transmission lines. Because if you can store energy during the, the, the low demand hours, basically you can you know, use the existing infrastructure and store the energy when, you know, there wouldn't be flows of electricity on the lines. And, uh, and then you, 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 you avoid building new lines, but still have the storage. So when you need that storage, it's available. Yeah, which is ironic because that's exactly how oil works. Yes. <laughs> um, right? Um, which is the irony is it doesn't escape me. Okay, so in this particular case down in Texas, um, I'm assuming mostly electric heat. And everyone, of course, cranks up the thermostat when it gets cold like that. Inefficient houses. That's really part of the breakdown in, in the system in this particular storm? Yes, uh, although they didn't have much uh, electric heating because in Texas you don't heat a lot. Uh, you know, normally temperature never goes below zero Celsius uh, in in Texas. So it, you know, it's just that everyone was unprepared for that. Uh, even forecasters and people looking at at the worst case events, they couldn't really forecast for that because the mindset is not on yet on climate change, especially in Texas, you know, which is not the most progressive state in terms of looking at climate change, they resisted uh, you know, forecasting for the worst. If you look at New York, for example, you know, the city of New York has a climate change office that is looking at you know, how, mu how much the, the sea level will rise in the, in the coming years. Uh, I doubt in Texas they were as uh, forward-looking in, in their, you know, in, in the extreme climate weather they could face. Yeah. Nobody could predict that in any way. You know, it's, it's really, you know, whether or not you believe in climate change, the matter of fact is that, you know, you cannot be prepared for such extreme weather events. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would surprise anybody on no matter where you land in your belief system. Yeah. Um, although if I lived on an island surrounded by ocean water, I too would probably want to monitor the water levels. I'm guessing that's a thing. Down in Texas, 13% of Texas total power uh, is wind turbine. Um, that's the number that I found. Um, it may, may or not be exactly accurate, but seems quite reasonable. And it's been very made very clear that the wind power problems are not the cause of the failures. Now, the pictures, you know, some a little bit of politicking about ice on turbines, 
uh, clearly is is a picture. But it's a real thing. If we in Alberta, where it gets really windy in the south and there are a bunch of turbines, I mean, we don't get ice storms quite the same way that these guys did with rain and ice and you did in Montreal. And uh, I remember more of the Ottawa end of that story because I was uh, I had some family in Ottawa at the time. And it, it really is a good reminder, though, with all this conversation in Canada and the cold, with our weather not being a crisis, our weather not being, um, you know, a surprise, we know that we're going to get cold. And we just, in Alberta, we're just starting to break out of this where I am. Winnipeg is just starting to break out of this uh, cold that we had. We know that it's going to get this cold. So how in the world is Canada going to move to this. In Quebec, you guys are lucky. You guys got, you know, hydroelectric everywhere. We don't. And so how are we going to stay warm? How are we going to make sure this doesn't happen to us if we switch to more electric-centric, you know, heating? Yeah, it's a key question. And, you know, Canadians are using energy in a big way. We are big energy consumers. So, So the answer to your question is to revise our energy standards and the way we use energy. Now, building standards have to you know, improve and, and make our buildings extremely much more efficient. We don't have efficient buildings, so it's really working on the thermal envelope of our buildings, insulation, and ultimately moving towards uh, what we call passive buildings, buildings that don't need to be heated or cooled during the summer because they are designed in a way where the, comfort, the, the temperature stays comfortable by itself because you know the, the the walls are thick and we don't need to heat them as much um so if we did have such buildings and if they did have these kind of buildings in texas then basically they are weatherproof and you don't need these heating systems so you don't need electricity you don't need the gas you don't need uh, fuel you just live there and by just the heat, the natural heat that comes out of your fridge, toaster, and, and just a computer, then that is enough heat to keep your building warm. You know, these are standards we have to evolve towards. Uh, it's not easy because this is not the story. The, the history of the construction sector is not, you know, uh, uh, passive houses, passive buildings, uh, high efficient buildings. But that's the solution. Ultimately, it's a solution. And then the electricity needs or energy need of the buildings will be reduced to such a low amount that it will be easy to, to keep warm. Well, and there's a story out of Edmonton about a guy who just built a house just in a normal neighborhood that is basically completely self-sufficient that way. So, I mean, it seems to be popular or excuse me, it seems to be possible yes. to do it. The catch, of course, I mean, this is unrelated, but would be inflation and interest rates and how well the government is doing with the economy and money. Because when you increase the value of the house in a place like, I don't know what it's like in Montreal, but even in Ottawa right now, like you can't get a townhouse for less than $450,000 and so when you go and you add more cost of efficiency on that, things become unattainable. So then we get into this whole society conversation um, about money, which really is where it always boils down to. The, speaking of money, there was an interesting piece, though, that came out. And of course, I'm going to acknowledge that it did come out on an oil website because it's politicking. But it is, it is interesting. They claim that with the cost um, of 14 cents per kilowatt hour, um, they did uh, – how much does it cost to charge a Tesla? which is based on an average price, and they said about $18. And um, based on the skyrocket price of electricity down in Texas, with their open market down there, 
that they basically had said, if you charged your Tesla today, well, meaning I get probably yesterday, based on the rates when it was in the worst of the electricity charges, their estimate was $900 US. Based on how much the statistically the Tesla needs for electricity from zero to 100, how much the cost was per kilowatt hour in the marketplace, $900 to charge a Tesla. So that's not going to be very um, comforting to anybody who is looking at electricity to be the solution for all the things. But, you know, on the other hand, and that's a paradox, you know, what happened in Texas is actually very good for EVs. Because people are saying, you know, the, one of the problems was we don't have enough storage. We need to store energy. And, and because people needed electricity. And if you have a Tesla and the Tesla is full of electricity, you have enough electricity to power your house for a few days. So, so even if there's a blackout with the Tesla you have already stored in your, in your, in, in your battery, you can power your house. And not only would it be good for individual households that would have, you know, their own autonomy for a few days, but it would be good for the system because the system would be relieved from, uh, you know, supplying everyone by having decentralized batteries all over the place if there were enough uh, cars and EVs around so that basically the, the distributed storage that these EVs would represent would help the system coming back and would alleviate the, the need for more power from power plants. So the flexibility that transmission lines can bring and the flexibility that these EVs will bring will actually be extremely helpful to uh, face future events like these ones. So, so I, I understand that you know charging your Tesla uh, during the, the worst of the crisis would be expensive, but all the EVs that could be there would actually help everyone go, go through the crisis. Yeah, I like that. I like that perspective, flipping it backwards. I've always had this notion that we have electric vehicles backwards, and I have no science to back this up. This is just my brain doing what my brain does. And I've always thought, you know, we're, we're looking to charge electric cars to drive them and all of the infrastructure that goes with that. My notion was to put batteries into cars and not charge them, but just capture um, with regenerative braking and all those things all the electricity that gets converted into heat and lost in a car and capture all the electricity that our cars use when we use them every day. Then when we come home to actually discharge our cars back into the grid. See, yeah. to me, I always thought that we think about this backwards, that we're looking for the electricity to get us around. Why not keep that infrastructure the same and reduce the general weight of all the electricity that we're adding on in our houses when we add on another phone charger, another TV, another video game system, another computer, right? Why not use the cars the other way and discharge the cars? Well, that's called vehicle to grid or vehicle to V2H, V2G. Uh, these are technologies that are actually, you know, will become available and, you know, there are already available uh, if you have the right type of chargers that are bi-directional so that you can actually discharge your EV. But you need an EV you, because if you just have your regular uh, internal combustion engine car, and, and if you want to generate electricity, that's called a hybrid car and it's done, but you don't, you cannot generate enough electricity with your hybrid to actually power power your house. So, you know, uh, cars, traditional cars, the, you, you can reuse the heat and the lost heat and the, the brake uh, energy that you that you lose normally. You can generate electricity, but not enough to power a, a house. Uh, but, you know, the V2G concept is real and it's actually where we are going towards because 
it's it's a solution of to to it's part of the solution for our energy transition. Yeah. Hey, cool. That's neat. I'm glad I had thought of something that was so decent. Um, it's it's an interesting conversation, and isn't it funny? It always comes back to that one place, right? It comes back to storage and batteries. Yeah. Where are we going to put it? And um, um, you know, uh, weather in Canada. We're lucky here in Alberta. It's a beautiful sunny day today when we record this conversation, and um, you know, there's an awful lot of sunshine where we are, but there's not a lot of sunshine everywhere. You know, in Canada all the time, and um, you know, I, I like. I like where we're headed. I'm cautious about people who think we're there. No. There's a long way to go. True. Uh, transmission lines will be very important in the, in the way where we're going because we need transmission lines. As you said, the sun is not shining everywhere. So we need you know, to be able to produce electricity when it's, the, the sun is shining, when the wind is blowing, when the water is running through the dams. And when it's not, then we need to be able to import electricity and when we have or are flooded with electricity, then we need to export. And then transmission lines will be key as much as uh, storage devices that we are developing. Uh, it's an interesting conversation. Thank you so much. Pierre Olivier Pino is with HEC in Montreal. And it's not statistics. <laughs> <laughs> it's sexy numbers. <laughs> Decision sciences. Well, there we go. Uh, thank you so much um, for, um, for spending the time. I appreciate it, Pierre Olivier. Thank you very much, Shane. This is the Shift Podcast. In case you missed it on the radio, here's Ryan Plowman O'Donnell. Oh, yeah. Oh, the Plowman. Well done. <laughs> that was, that was the best the one. Thing there. Oh, my That's God. That's pretty you good, hey? Even had me saying the Plowman. Yep. Well. Yep. Let me tell you, you we're going to plow through some stories that. tonight. That's a typo. That's a typo. <laughs> That's a typo. I am the typo. I, uh, I am very excited because today a trailer dropped for a movie that I am very skeptical about. However, after watching the trailer, I don't think I've been this excited in a long time for a video game movie. And let me tell you, Twitter was fired up for a fight today. So let's just get into the tweet of the day. <laughs> Mortal Kombat. Oh, my Lordy Lou. Yes. The Warner Brothers. They dropped the trailer for the upcoming Mortal Kombat movie, and it was absolutely ridiculous. Okay, so director Simon McQuoid, who has directed nothing except some amazing commercials, which I'll get into later. Uh, it, this movie looks amazing. It's very R-rated, this trailer. It is you know, not like the original Mortal Kombat, like PG-13. No, this is brutal. Which is great because Mortal Kombat, if you're somehow unaware of what this is, it's one of the most classic video games of all time. Arcade uh, beat em up. It's the reason that video games have maturity ratings now. You know, finish him, fatality. It's just a fighting <laughs> game where it can be as brutal as possible. Sub Zero, Scorpion, Kano, Molina, uh, Raiden, all of the best. Crazy over the top ninja stuff. And the trailer shows that this movie is all gonna is gonna be all about that okay so twitter was a light because of the 
what's the word I'm the authenticity of the costumes, the way the characters were portraying themselves. So they're all here. Like I said, Scorpion Sub-Zero, Shang Tsung, Goro as well, the four-armed massive one, which had the ridiculous costume in the 1990s version of this movie. And a, and a little ponytail on the back, too. Yeah. <laughs> so let's get the first clip here, which gives you a little bit of a sneak peek into the actual story. I mean, like, let's face it, we're not, we're not going to watch this movie for the story, but just for brevity's sake. It's not a birthmark, Cole. It means you've been chosen. Throughout history, different cultures all over the world reference a great tournament of champions. That dragon marking? I think it's an invitation to fight for something known as Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat. Oh, hey, Ryan. Yep. There? Hey, Ryan, Here's the thing. You. Yep, I hit the wrong button. Oh, good. In that little clip there, I cut out 15 seconds of hack slashing sounds because that's how brutal this trailer was. And there was cool. so there you go. Hundreds in there already. Oh yeah, I know. So the the basic story is that you know you have the standard crew from the games, but there's a new character whose name is Cole, who has been chosen for the Mortal Kombat tournament. You know, go do that whole thing. Uh, the the basic idea of the story is that it, the universe has this tournament and whoever wins their world stays alive and the losers is destroyed and you know obviously they want to destroy earth right i don't care about that what i care about is watching ninjas beat the crap out of each other the trailer has fatalities guys there are actual like live action fatalities and they talk like they're in the video game and it works so well there is a clip where Sub-Zero, who uses ice, slashes a guy. You know, there's the spurt of blood. He freezes the blood into a blade and then stabs the guy with his own blood as a blade. Now that's it is cool. Whoa. So cool. And uh, this is what it sounds like, by the way. I am Sub-Zero. Beauty. <laughs> you beauty oh my god oh this beauty looks like so much fun i this just you know what i i don't expect this to be a masterpiece of cinematography but I, what i'm getting from this is the similar kind of godzilla vibe you know where the movie gives you exactly what you need it, it leaves behind an in-depth story and character development so you can watch the fun stuff instead of monsters beating the crap out of each other it's ninjas ripping body parts off of each other and using it to you know beat each other with it it's going to be ridiculous it's going to be great uh and they did such a cool job i'm actually excited for a video game movie i think this is going to be sweet this is great i'm very happy um however i do have one concern if you matt i have the tweet of the day extra clip there yeah yeah i just really hope that this movie has better dialogue than mortal kombat 2 annihilation Mother. You're alive. Too bad you will die. Too die. bad you will die. It's one of the worst movies ever. And that line is legendary. Is one of the worst movie lines ever. 
Uh, mm. So hopefully we don't get one of those. Honestly, you know what that sounds this, like to me. What does it sound like? Too bad you will die. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pretty much. So there you go. A movie to look forward to, man. I uh, I can't wait to like open a tall boy in, in when the, in the theaters when they open back White up. Claw. No, I'm not. I don't like white claws. I think they're overrated. <laughs> you know, just sit back and watch watch this happen, and then go home and play some Mortal Kombat. It's gonna be great. So anyway, very excited. And the director, the things he's directed were commercials for video games, and he really understands how to kind of get like video game dialogue across in a kind of an entertaining way. So I have a I have a good feeling in my in my bones about it. So if he expands like a really like th- like a thirty second commercial into like a 90 minute film that could work <laughs> there's a legendary playstation con- uh, con- uh commercial where all of sony's favorite characters are in a bar together and they're just chatting about their video games it is so funny and it is so well done and he is the guy who made that commercial which i didn't know till today so that made me feel a little bit better uh, obviously this guy got the job for a reason right so mm. anyway lots to look forward to and uh, they actually casted Asian actors for all of the Asian characters and Asian ninjas, which is good because it's way more convincing and it's not culturally wrong. And well, I'm happy about that. Thank you. Kind of the way it's supposed to be, I think. Exactly. Because like the Raiden was a white guy in the first movie and he <laughs> it was so bad. Yeah, but he, anyway, he moving. Was, he oh. was the guy from uh, Highlander. Highlander? Yeah. yeah, he was from a guy from Highlander. It was a weird movie, man. <laughs> so... That was the weird age of uh, video game movies too. With uh, what's the other one? Day, Day of the Dead, and uh, there were some other crazy ones. That's a that's a segment for another day. Like really yeah. bad '90s video game movies. House oh. of the Dead. Oh yeah, Far I mean the, like, the Mario Brothers movie was terrible. Like Ooh. It, Ooh, it's all that one. The the money and the, I think the marketing and all of this, the the tie ins, especially with fast food, were more important than storyline and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, Trucker Dan, my favorite text is the new Mortal Kombat movie being sponsored by Twisted Tea. That is a great text because there's a meme from last year of a guy getting clocked in the head with a Twisted Tea so hard that he just hits the floor and it's really funny. And uh, it's after he says a very horrible thing. So it feels kind of satisfying. So honestly, I hope there's a finisher that has a Twisted Tea in it. (laughs) Clink, clink, clink. Clink, clink, clink. Now moving on to something a little less violent. And a lot more wholesome. Dolly Parton, who I love. Dolly Parton Mm -hmm. is one of the most wonderful human beings on the planet. Her music is excellent. And 9 to 5 is a great musical. We did it in high school and it was so much fun. But Mm -hmm. she actually said no to quite a ridiculously big honor. It seemed like a lovely thing, lawmakers in Tennessee wanting to honor Dolly Parton for all she's done for the state, not just her music, but also her philanthropy, by putting a Dolly statue on the Capitol grounds in Nashville. But Parton says don't put her on a pedestal, literally. She writes in a statement that she's honored and humbled, but given all that's going on in the world, perhaps now, not the right time. She did leave the door open, though, saying several years from now, or perhaps after she's gone, if they feel she still deserves it, then she's certain she'll stand proud in the Capitol as a grateful Tennessean. Jason Nathanson, ABC News. Hollywood. Oh, if Ryan could marry any superstar, like if you have you ever heard of like your free pass famous person mm-hmm. with your partner, like, Hey, if you ever had a chance to meet so-and-so, you know, that you get a free pass there. I'm pretty sure Dolly is so wholesome. 
That would be Ryan's free pass. Mine would actually be uh, Haley Steinfeld. That's my celebrity crush. That's really? like my number one. Yeah. My, as soon really? as I saw her in Bumblebee wearing a Smith shirt and listening to the Smiths, I fell in love. Like there, there you oh, go. Yeah. yeah. Laura's aware of this, by the way. We but we're, we're well aware of like, yeah, you're fine. Yeah, it's okay. It's yeah. So famous person go. crush. Now, just to add on to this wholesomeness factor, I think it's the right thing to do here, and it it, it would be weird if Dolly Parton accepted this honor and had a statue unveiled amidst the pandemic and everything going on in the world especially from a political side in the United States. So I think it's the right thing to do. And she's just obviously doesn't really need it. She's just loving life and having fun because last year she did an interview with Wired magazine where they get famous people to uh, type their name in Google and then answer a question from what Google suggests the question is. And it was ridiculously funny. And this is my favorite moment. Who does Dolly Parton look like? Well, a clown? <laughs> well, I actually patterned my look after what they called the town tramp in my hometown when I was a little girl. This woman that used to walk the streets had all this makeup and hair, high heel shoes. and I thought she was so beautiful. And everybody used to say, oh, she ain't nothing but trash. And I used to say, well, that's what I'm going to be when I grow up, trash. And that's kind of how I look. But I like to think I'm a little more than that. You are Dolly. You so much are. more. Ah, oh, what a wonderful woman! Somehow that was kind of hot. <laughs> you, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thanks for that, Shane. Hey, I mean, um, and that aside, Dolly deserves a lot of recognition for her songwriting. She is a yes. hit-making machine. Yes. Machine. She, she knows is. what to do. She does. Yeah. Um, no, but she's always kept a classy, right? She really has. She's been she, oh, for sure. Yeah. Definitely. Unlike us. Um, now, absolutely. Hmm, thinking <laughs> of timing here, I'm trying to figure out which one I want to do. We'll do this one. This one's a funner conversation. A funner. Wow. Funner. This one is a better conversation. Whoa. Happy yeah. Friday. Yeah, I have like some. I have some. Typo. I, I oh, big time. Funner is one <laughs> of those words that? I was always convinced should be a word, but I, mm -hmm. it's not. I get it. No, uh, it probably now, shouldn't be. That's a typo. <laughs> <laughs> nice, quick hands there. Uh, now another trailer. And it's more of a funny thing, and it relates to something that happened to me today, is that Disney dropped a trailer for the upcoming uh, Cruella DeVille prequel movie, mm -hmm. Cruella DeVille from 101 Dalmatians. And here's the thing. It, it seems like a Batman movie. It's like the vibe of it is very DC Comics, and Emma Stone has a ridiculously questionable evil British accent, and it's quite funny. So just listen to this clip. <laughs> From the very beginning, I realized I saw the world differently than everyone else. That didn't sit well with some people. But I wasn't for everyone. I guess they were always scared that I'd be a psycho. <laughs> hmm. Wow. I love Emma Stone. Uh... We'll see not as much it. as highly Steinfeld. No, not at all. Um, so yeah, 1970s, young fashion designer, Grella DeVille, becomes obsessed with dog skin Dalmatians until she becomes a ruthless and terrifying legend known as Grella. Glenn Close, who played Corella in the original, she Magical. is uh, the executive producer of this movie, which is interesting. And the reason it relates back to me quickly is because I was so, like, this movie seems like it's a Joker prequel, 
that I went and bought a Batman comic today. And the topic of this Batman comic, this is real, is that Batman comes into the possession of the Holy Grail and all of the Batman villains try to steal it from him. So I'll let you know what that's like. Came out in the 90s and I can't wait to read it. All right. It's called Batman and the Chalice. (laughs) I feel lost at the moment. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) That hurts. These cartoon, cartoons, comic book things are confusing, and I thought I had the 101 Dalmatians figured out until just now, but somehow yep. um, it turns out Batman was the breeder of the dogs, and Cruella was his rich ex-fashion designer from New York. Yeah, <sighs> this pretty is much, man. Follow. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.